Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is the Reverend Heidi Hankel. Heidi is a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary and is the pastor of Bethesda Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I give you Heidi Hankel. Heidi, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. So this Sunday is Baptism of the Lord Sunday, and our first reading is from Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7. Here we have the prophet Isaiah talking to people who are probably on the other end of, of the exile. They, you know, it's, it's kind yeah. of later, sort of uh, after, you know, Judah's been conquered and, you know, people were sort of left there. Some people, the peasants were left there. They sort of did a brain drain, took a lot of their, you know, the talented uh, folks where people educational productive, take them to Babylon. And so, you know, it's pretty easy to lose hope (laughs) and think, man, uh, there's no future. You know, our land is occupied. Maybe the promises that God made to our descendants are just not to be taken seriously anymore. But then you have this word of hope where Isaiah is saying, Hey, I, you know, the Lord said, who created you, formed you, uh, don't fear for I have redeemed you. I've called you, you know, by name and makes all these promises that I will give people in exchange for you. I'm with you. And that the people that are called by my name, I created for, you know, you're, I've created you for glory. So there's this sort of hope in the midst of a situation that doesn't seem hopeful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, in chapter 42, I mean, God is laying them out. He is just going after them and just saying, this is what you've done. This is your sin. I mean, he is, nothing is left unaccounted for. In the very end of Isaiah 42, he just says, he he ravages them with violence and they still don't understand, still don't take it to heart. And that's kind of the intro to 43 in a way, because he says, but now. So it's, he's, he's kind of recounting the past. This is how you've lived. This is what you've done. And he says, but now, I mean, it's a clear changing of, it doesn't matter how bad it's been, now changes everything. And he begins to lay into them with, uh, you know, I've chosen you, which is a really, really powerful message. So if you have a church full of people that you're really working with that just are feel incredibly broken, or they've had a lot of trauma in their life, or they are coming from really dysfunctional backgrounds, there are people who need to hear the word that, you know, he chose you. And this is one of those powerful passages where God says that to Israel, I choose you, not because of you, but because of who I am. And he begins to lay into those things. I believe it's uh, verse three. He starts talking about, you know, I am the Lord. I am your savior. I did this because of who I am, not because you qualify. And just begins to kind of not even give a word of hope, but also give a word of this is my plan and begins to lay it out for them. It's... Uh, I, don't know, I find it to be an incredibly powerful word to bring to a congregation on a Sunday. I like what you said too that, that it, it's the 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 about qualifications. Like it's not God doesn't qualify the uh, call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So it's God's <laughs> call that qualifies. Or like just because you're chosen doesn't mean your choice. You mm-hmm. know that that. And thank goodness, right? Like it's sort of like 
well, if I could be a Christian, who can't be, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if I could be chosen, who couldn't be? Uh-huh. Yep. Now, so this is, I mean, I find this to be God the Redeemer is the theme through here, like you already mentioned. But uh, if you want to preach this Sunday on this, you can start talking about the redeeming of situations, the redeeming of your life, even all the brokenness that's happened. Not only does God say today's a new day, but he says, I'm going to take all of that and I'm actually going to redeem it and make it glorious, which is uh, uh, something we don't talk about enough of in the church, that somehow my sin and my brokenness can actually be traded in and redeemed and God can make something good of that. We often talk about it's sin, it's brokenness, it needs to be healed, it needs to be forgiven, it needs to be lifted up to the Lord. But what about the redemption of the very broken things in our lives and watching that come to amazing glory before our, us? I think, I think that's a really incredible passage and powerful to preach as well. Yeah, and you think of that, I think about the line in the Joseph story, right? When he looks at his brothers and they're shocked that it's just, I am Joseph. It's very moving. He says, you know, don't be afraid. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And I like what you're saying, that this sense that like, that the darkest parts of our lives uh, can not just be healed, but even can be part of our own story of redemption, part of how we, God's light shines in and through us. My, my work that I do is a lot with people who have experienced trauma, abuse, sexual abuse. So I always tend to go towards these themes with them where these, uh, the things meant for evil in our lives to do incredible damage and destruction to us, they don't have to continue to be that. That doesn't have to be their legacy in our lives. And God can do some pretty amazing things with the hell that we have experienced. But he does, he, he does it again. He says, I am your God. I am your Savior. And then in his next line, he says, but you are precious. You are honored. And he declares it. Again, not that they qualified for it, but that's how he sees his children. No matter what you've done, you are precious. You are honored. That's like crazy. Who does that? Who gives that away in this day and age? Yeah. And I feel like so often the message we hear on like social media and stuff are anything but that, right? Like they're mm-hmm. they're their shaming messages and tribal messages or, or messages like you have to measure up. Like I got to take my Instagram thing of my f- perfect meal and my perfect life. And all this is, yeah. so this is a sense of like, no, your value, it, it, if you have a value that comes from outside of you, you know, that yes. God gives you, it can't be taken away. Yes. Yeah. I think this actually sets up to some of our next passages. If you're dealing with situations of us and them, which <laughs> let's, Face it. I mean, in our country, we are dealing with us versus them problems right now. Yeah, people say that there's more there's more discrimination on politics even than race. So yes. people have more prejudices about people from different political persuasion, persuasions than they do even over racial differences. Yeah, and we. I mean, we have them in the church. I'm Presbyterian, but you're Catholic. You know, I mean, it's just we have. It's crazy what we can create into an us versus them. But I think God begins to draw new lines. And it says, you may have once been against me, but I choose you to be mine today. And it erases some of these lines and divisions that we have set up and tried to accomplish in our lives. And God just takes the walls down immediately. And he just says, you're mine. You're claimed. I choose you. It's like your dad standing up in the middle of your entire school and high school going like, that's my girl, you know? And just the, the pride and you are owned. You are claimed. You are loved. You are precious. You are honored. It's just powerful. I'm no longer a them. I am a his. And when you know that, right, you're freed from the need to demonize, right? It's often like when we make idols, like false idols, we idolize, we demonize, right? But then yeah. when we have a right view of God and that sense of identity, that came, then we don't have to get our identity at the expense of the other. Yes. Is that your, I think that's an incredible healing 
Like that, I mean, that's something I feel like the church can give to the culture that we need so desperately. Right? Very much so. I, I think that's very powerful, Scott. I think you got your sermon for something. Exactly. There we go. <laughs> So let's move on to the book of Acts. We've got Acts chapter eight. This is such an interesting reading, right? Verse 14 through 17, where like they, I guess we have like the the apostles of the Jerusalem church here that some people had had responded to the preaching Mm -hmm. in Samaria. They send Peter and John up to check it out and they go there and they, they, it's interesting because there's this line that they had just received the baptism in, in, of Jesus, right? Like they've, they, um, they've been baptized, it says, right, in the name of the Lord Jesus, but the Spirit had not yet come upon them. So there's right. this thing where they have to sort of, in, in some way, their presence brings a, a new measure of the Spirit, which there's so much theological debate caused by this voice, right? Oh, like, sure. <laughs> if you're at second baptism, gifts of the Spirit, all this, all this kind of stuff um but i mean it's in, i mean it's an interesting story like that that okay we we've got to check it like they're responding but they're but yet they're there's something that they they still need yeah i i very much approach this as i feel like this is a great lesson in outreach and unity yes yeah. so samaria's the um ostracized group of people they're the hated immigrants they're the outsiders they're not accepted by the jewish and the jewish are not accepted by the samarians that's just the way it is the samaritans and it's like and, a gateway to the rest of the world right it's always right. go to judea samaria then the ends of the earth like samaria is the mm-hmm. outer thing and then the rest of the world right? yes so it's that in between between jews and the world you got the samaritans dare i say it's canada or mexico for exactly, us exactly. So, <laughs> so philip actually is a person who has been rejected a bit by Jerusalem, by the church in Jerusalem. He's not kind of a qualified full member. He's a Hellenistic Jew. So he's kind of a second-class Jew. And when he goes to Samaria, he's actually received because of his rejection, which I love because Jesus was often received because of his rejection. People identify with that. And so when Philip goes to do the outreach, it's actually his what's seen as his weakness in Jerusalem, what's seen as his brokenness in Jerusalem or his less than becomes his greatest asset in his outreach. So for you pastors out there, I just want to encourage you, like be yourself. That is your greatest asset when you are reaching out to people in this culture. Be just like them. They want to see somebody genuine. And Philip was that to them. So he comes, they're able to receive the word from him. And the church of Jerusalem says, well, we need to verify this. (laughs) So they send... Uh, Peter and John up there. Peter and John, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it's interesting because James and John and Luke, right? I think is the, are the ones that call down fire from heaven on Samaria right, when yeah. they check the word. <laughs> John's like, I've been here before. Like we've seen mm-hmm. you before. Yeah. So they send Peter and John, and I I gotta wonder what was going through Peter and John's head as they're going up there. Like, oh, what did Philip do now? And just <laughs> they're half excited, but also wondering what does this mean? And they get there, and I think they can kind of clearly discern it and see it. They've um, you know, receive the word, but there's a second piece, this Holy Spirit, we, you got to know this. And in doing that, in receiving both from Philip, the outreach, and also the Church of Jerusalem, the baptism of the Spirit, there begins a unity that this is, they are together in the body of Christ now. They are together the church. There is not a second-class citizen here. They now have both received the same things. They're further the same in God's eyes, which is fascinating. I mean, 
Well, yeah, and, and I like that. I like what you said about the weakness thing. It's like two th- things come to mind. Like first, that God will provide the church with what it needs, right? Like so, here the church is lacking in something, and God provides, and sometimes from an unusual source, like from the one who called down fire. Or I love mm-hmm. what you said. How it's like God's strength is made perfect in weakness. What makes Philip a kind of on the margin in the church? It makes him an asset somewhere else. So oftentimes, yeah. when we embrace uh, the, our whole selves, right, the things mm-hmm. that maybe we're uncomfortable with. Sometimes that's actually the exact place where God works in our lives. Right? Absolutely. Again, the redemption of our broken things somehow becomes glorious when he uses it. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah and I feel like that's like, like for individuals and in churches, like looking at our whole selves as looking at the things we think li- are liabilities and thinking, well, maybe God doesn't see them necessarily the same way we do. Mm, that's powerful. What do... My weaknesses, the things that I am afraid to acknowledge and talk about about myself, how does God see them? That's a powerful question just to even ask in a devotion. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's it's interesting too, like you see that not only do, you know, you see, you think of like Peter with Cornelius and, and, and the church as it begins to open up to Gentiles more and more and how, you know, that there's things that people like Peter lack, right? Like he learns along the way too. Like there's always, <laughs> like he's evangelized in his sharing, you know, like he's, mm-hmm. he's taught through his teaching. So there's always, we're never just givers or receivers, right? Yeah. God, there's always give and take, there's mutual exchange. God is always using, God is always one anothering us. Like yeah. That. Yeah. I, it's funny you mentioned Peter. I think, I always think that Peter has foot and mouth syndrome. <laughs> yeah. That's one of his greatest weaknesses. Yes. And yet God uses him to go to the places that everybody else is scared to speak to yeah. because Peter just doesn't have that fear. But the last thing I just want to mention this, and it kind of flows into the Luke passage too, is the question to, this might be an interesting question to preach on what changes at baptism. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so what? So, I mean, if Peter and John go there and they go, you haven't ever received the Baptism of the Holy Spirit. So what? I mean, what is so important that they need the second part? What changes for you and me today when we are baptized? The unity, we become part of a family, we are marked, we are chosen. Yeah. All these dynamics that we've just talked about in the last two passages suddenly come into effect with that question. Yeah, and sometimes it seems like in the Bible, some people, the Spirit shows up and faith is created before they receive the sign, like, say, circumcision, right? I mean, some people, like Abraham, has it before circumcision, right? Yeah. Some people find faith after baptism, right? Like, yeah. Or like, you know, say Abraham's children or people in the Testament, you know, because we have household baptisms or an instance here where somebody's baptized and yet they're not fully matured to faith. And sometimes people get baptized and never come to faith. We assume, you know, like, yeah. people, sometimes people fall away. But there's this mysterious thi- thing that, that, that it always, faith is never private. But it does have to be personal in some way. Like you have yeah. to, in some way, you have to come to own it for yourself. And that looks differently for for different people. Yeah. But it has to become it has to become a real spiritual reality in you. Yeah. Agreed. On to the gospel reading here. The, but this, I think the gospel, the, it's baptism of the Lord. And so we have Luke 3. <laughs> we uh, have to have this passage. <laughs> exactly. 15, 17, 21 through 22, the actual baptism of the Lord. And I think this is like the most interesting, like armchair theological question for a lot of people. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? It's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, John seems to be scandalized by it. Uh, you know, like, 
he, he says, you know, another <laughs> one's going to come. And I, I think it doesn't, it's not in this passage here, but, but John other places says, you know, I, you shouldn't, I shouldn't even be baptizing you. And Jesus says, no, that this is to fulfill, right? That I should do this. But John like realizes the insufficiency of what he's doing, like something, and then G, yet even though John recognizes its insufficiency somehow, Jesus submits to it. Mm-hmm. Again, what we think is inadequate in us are the things that God wants to use. And in that, I mean, John's standing there in front of him and he feels totally inadequate. You know, I'm not worthy to tie your sandals. I'm not even adequate enough to tie your shoes. And, you know, God says, no, you're good to go. Let's do this. You know, that they are the way we view life, the way we view ourselves, the way we view our strengths, our weaknesses, our successes and our failures. God sees it so differently. And you know, part of baptism is being marked, being washed, being refreshed. What would it look like to have our eyes, just, just this thought of our eyes being renewed, where we see things the way God does? What does he see when he looks at our failures in life? You and I are both church planters. We've had great successes. We've had great failures. We learn from them all. And somehow, as church planters, when you fail— that's the thing you think of all the time. Yeah, That's the one that eats away at you day yeah. in and day out. At the rest of your career, just wondering, you know, what could I have done differently? And how? And it, it imprints on you. And in the same way, God doesn't see it that way. He just yeah. doesn't. Yeah. He sees it as, look at all the ministry that happened when you were a part of that. Look at all the people that were ministered to and pastored. And look how I took them and sent them out and to different places and scattered them to take it elsewhere. And he just sees it so differently than we do. So, and none of the churches in the New Testament, they all seem to be closed. Like, we can't find any of the churches, right? Like, but, but I love they, that. But yeah, they're a part of our story. Like, without them, we wouldn't have the scriptures. We wouldn't have these traditions. Like, like, yeah. And, and yet they passed away. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's part of it. I mean, this is the part of the cycle of the church. And uh, a couple of people, this is totally an aside from the passage. A couple of people have said, you know, the cycle of the church actually is probably speeding up. We, it used to be over hundreds of years. Some church plants are lasting 10, 15, yeah, 20 yeah, years, and yeah. they're going. And they said, that's like a normal life cycle of a church in these days, because we change our society and culture changes so quick. It, it That's what happens. What's amazing, they sold the Crystal Cathedral. I know, like, right? You think about that. That thing looked like it would go on in perpetuity, right? The first big mainline megachurch TV kind of... And, and Robert Schuller, a really interesting guy, but they, now, like, with his... Like, they sold the building. <laughs> It happens. Yeah. I mean, that's a physical structure. What yeah. does God care about the physical exactly. structure? Exactly. But um, I, I just want to mention something a little bit different on this passage. I was struck by the very opening of the passage. It's very different than Christmas. Yeah. It says yeah. they're waiting with expectation. And that's so different than Christmas. Christmas is like everybody misses it. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Unless right. the angel notified you, you are not part of it. Right. And these people now, suddenly the, the dynamic has changed. There's this expectation. There's been years and people and talking about the prophecies and, oh my gosh, he must be among us. And he was a child, so he must be coming on, growing up at this point. And um, John's ministry is so dynamic and different maybe he's the one and it's this they're looking they're finally seeking and looking as opposed to our isaiah passage where the end of chapter 42 in isaiah says they violence came upon them and they still didn't take it to heart they still didn't try to yeah, understand looking, it they still with, didn't get <laughs> with so much expectation they're looking even in the wrong places like, exactly the one like he's yeah right he said no 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 don't get you know it's uh yeah. yeah it's interesting too i think about like why is jesus baptized right for a couple of things mm-hmm. i think I think Luke is structuring this here, like, so that we think new creation, because there's water, the spirit, like, you think of Genesis, this this spirit over the water, like a bird, 
Mm-hmm. So you have this sort of like it looks like a new creation story, right? Like it's, yeah. it's second Adam, new Israel, like coming through the the water of Exodus. There's all these images of like a new Exodus, a new creation. Yeah. And the other thing too, it's interesting. Like I think of like I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and my like I, Star <laughs> Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan is the best Star Trek movie. I mean, it's hands down. I cry. Okay. Every, I cry every time I see it when Spock dies. Right. And then he gives his life for the ship. It's not a spoiler if it's like 30 years old. He's fancy. So it's just like a spoiler alert. I mean, it's an old movie. But Spock dies. And then the Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, they figure out that he put his like soul or his consciousness in, in Dr. McCoy's mind. And they, they have to steal the Enterprise and go back to this planet and get his body. And they, they like ruin their careers and everything. And then the next movie, they go back in time, save the planet because there's this like probe that's looking for whales and there's no more whales. But by the end of this three movie cycle, Kirk and his and Spock's crew are all facing charges for stealing the enterprise, mutiny and everything. And they said, all right, you know, the, with the accused come forward and they all come right. And Spock gets out of the gallery and stands. And he said, and the, and the president of the proceeding says, Mr. Spock, you do not stand accused. And he just says, I stand with my shipmates. And, and there's this beautiful thing where even though he didn't, he stood with them. And I think that's part of the baptism of Jesus. Like they're being baptized for sin. And yet Jesus says, I I stand with them. Like I, I, I'm in their shoes because I'm not redeeming from afar, but from inside out. So there's this sort of Jesus taking on our condition in the baptism. I agree with you. I mean, that's the interpretation I would go with. Some people have said that it's the beginning of his ministry, his call, but he's been in the temple teaching since he was a teenage boy. He's been doing that for a while. That's I don't, I don't know that we can say this is the beginning of his ministry, but I think this is his first kind of— um, it's the first one where we see the contact between heaven and him where he's older than the nativity scene. Yeah, yeah. And we just, it's a, it's a profound moment too. Uh, I was thinking about this today. Jesus hasn't really done miracles yet. He hasn't really healed or resurrected anybody yet. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. And in that moment when the Holy Spirit comes on him for baptism. Oh, there's everybody, there's a mouse on the top of my and I'm doing everything I can not to There's eat. There's a mouse in the studio. <laughs> he won't eat much. He'll be fine. Okay. Hi, Mr. Mouse. Yeah, he's, uh, he's listening to our, our, the word here. There's a mouse in the studio, everybody. Ooh. Okay. So anyway, what I say? But Jesus hasn't really done these miracles yet. And God says over him, you are my beloved. You are my chosen. So what's pretty interesting to me is, again, this concept that God chooses us before we even qualify. And he does it with his son. And so we talk about, like, why are we getting baptized? Jesus got baptized to stand with us, yeah. to, to be marked with us as part of the body. And when we are baptized, what changes for us? You yeah. know, we are—it's God's moment to say, I choose you. You are my beloved. You are part of this family. You are unified into this family no matter what country you come from or where you lived or how you heard the word. Yeah. Once you're baptized, you are mine. I am yours. It's just—it's powerful. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing I tend to think of, like, I think I mentioned this in a sermon a week or two ago, but, you know, when you live in, like, the northeast or an older part of the country, oh, there goes the mouse. He's he's taken off. He's exploring. That's It's very interesting. Hey, little guy. Uh, it's all creatures of our God and King, right? Um, you know, the when I think of, like, when you walk around, like, even Langhorn, right, they'll be like, oh, the Continental Congress, or, or in, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, there's, the, Congre- Cong- the Continental Congress met here, or George Washington was here, stayed in Langhorn, and there are these moments where, like, it's almost like this is this hallowed place because the founding father was here. Or they, and I think of the same thing in, like, the baptism of Jesus saying, like, it, it, 
he's accepting all of us, the good, the bad, like so on the the dark parts of your story, like you were saying, the traumatized, the wounded parts, it's like the baptism of Jesus is a big sign. The king of the universe dwelt here, even in this place. So he, every part of the human condition, it has this yes. sign. Jesus was here. Jesus has inhabited this. And so it, it, he stands with us in, in in the lowest moments so that we can join him in the highest places. I mean, so that's a beautiful, like, solidarity. It is. Um, a lot of times during Lent and in going into Good Friday, I will... Um, specifically preach to people who have been traumatized and abused. And there is nothing you have not experienced that Jesus hasn't. He was publicly flogged, stripped naked, verbally abused, mocked, rejected, abandoned, all, everything. He has that experience too. And then just publicly displayed and flayed yeah. before everybody. And so, you know, when you are in the depths of your greatest moment of pain, yeah. just know you yeah. are not alone there in the pit. That is an incredibly redemptive thing to speak and preach. And it doesn't have to be during Lent. You could do it this week because the that's, that's what baptism means. No matter how far down in the hell and pit I am, I am with Christ. Yeah. And he is with me. And this place can be hallowed ground. Even yes. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Heidi. And I, you know, blessings to you in your preaching this week and to all our listeners, whether they're preaching or listening or uh, blessings on the baptism of the Lord Sunday. Amen. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review and subscribe or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Heidi for coming back on the podcast. And thanks to you again for listening to Synaxis. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.